So I was talking with some people this morning. They were saying, well, we're looking forward to the next installment on Revelation. If you came this morning to hear that, sorry, it's not going to happen. Um, and the reason being um, is because today we're going to install um, an elder and deacon into this church. And I thought we'd make that our focus this morning as we reflect on that together, what that might uh, mean for all of us. And um, so we're going to look um, this morning at a passage in, um, that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If I could have my PowerPoint on. I won't read the scripture now. I'll just put on my PowerPoint, if that's all right. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So that's the passage we're going to look at this morning, 1 Timothy 5. And speak about um, what you and I should do when we think about our leaders within our church. I don't know about you, but our generation has been blessed in an immense way. Uh, we saw history made with the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, for me, she was the only queen I've ever known, and for many of you, the same. I mean, having reigned for 70 years and 127 days, I mean, the longest reigning British monarch. And we were able to experience a lot of that. You probably remember the Platinum Jubilee where they celebrated her 70 years reign that happened uh, last year in June. I mean, I still remember her Golden Jubilee, you know, 20 years before that. Uh, you know, there was a million people crowded together around Buckingham Palace and Trafalgar Square in London, England. You know, for over 4,000, just think about it, over 4,000 official, I mean, these are government-sanctioned street parties, you know, throughout Britain. Um, the Queen invited 12,000 people on the lawns of Buckingham Palace where they each received a picnic basket. And in that basket, there was salmon and chicken and strawberries and champagne that they could enjoy together. I mean, it was just a, a massive, massive celebration. Why? I mean, why all that fanfare? Why all of this celebration? Well, it was only for one reason. It was to honor Queen Elizabeth II. And just think of that, you know, over 70 years on the throne in England, and people have gathered to honor her. Queen Elizabeth II was given the honor that was due her. But you and I know uh, kings and queens are not the only ones that we honor in life. I mean, if you are a student at school, uh, perhaps you think of the honors that you have received at school, your achievements, maybe as you grew up, you even received a scholarship. Maybe you were chosen as the valedictorian of your graduating class. And, and here in Australia, I mean, one of the things that we do a lot, and that is to honor sport players. I mean, just think of Steve Smith taking out the Allen Border Medal in cricket in 23, and uh, Payne Haas taking the Paul Morgan Medal for Player of the Year for the Broncos. I mean, people are given the honor that they are due. Well, in Paul's first letter that he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, he talks about the honor that we ought to give to certain people. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And as Paul, as he has mentored and trained up young Timothy, he writes a couple of letters to him. 
And in his first letter, he tells us that we need to honor particular people in the church. And he doesn't talk about kings and queens. He doesn't talk about sport players or students at school. He talks about widows, elders, and masters. For example, in 5.3, he says, give honor to the widows in need. In verse 17, he says, give double honor to elders. And in chapter 6, the very first verse, he says, if you are a slave, give honor to your master. And in each one of these cases, it's exactly the same word. We are to give honor, widows, masters, and elders. Now today, as we are going to spend some time just to reflect on elders and deacons, reflect about leaders within the church, and as we are going to ordain and install new leaders in this church, I want to focus on what God teaches us in chapter 5, verse 17 through 22. In that chapter, we are told that we are to give double honor to elders who serve well within the church. They are worthy of double honor. Now, why? What is it about being an elder or a church leader in the church? What is it about them that requires you and I to give them double honor? And what does this double honor look like? How can you and I do this? So I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to just spend a few moments just reflecting on these verses. And we're going to pick up at verse 17. This is what we read. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasting in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be found acceptable in your sight. And Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church and over all things to us. We pray that you will be pleased, that you will be glorified, that you will be honored as we open up your word. And every single person that is gathered here this morning, that they may be helped. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 17, you read about elders. And when you read that, you might think right away about elders in the church. Uh, when we think about elders, we think those are people who have the particular task of oversight within the local church. You know, elders as opposed to ministers and pastors and deacons. But that's not what Paul has in mind here when he uses the word elders. He's referring to people in the church who are leaders who direct the affairs of the church. Well, from this we know that Paul is referring to a much broader category than simply thinking about elders as you and I might think about elders. Paul is talking about people who direct the affairs of the church. Now, who are these people? Well, they're pastors, they're ministers, they're elders, they're deacons. 
But we shouldn't limit that just to those three groups of leaders in the church. Paul is speaking very generally here about those people in the church who have been given the responsibility in the church to direct the ministries of the church. Now, some of those, as we read in verse 17, are those who teach and preach. Most often, those are the elders and ministers. But in this list, beyond ministers and elders and deacons, you can also include people like evangelists and youth workers and worship leaders. And, hey, you need someone to take care of the oversight of the maintenance of this property. These are people who are given responsibility in the church to direct the ministries of the church. Now, that becomes very clear when you notice the word well. When Paul uses the word well here, he is not referring to, well, you know, you got some good elders and you got some, well, maybe not so good elders. I mean, some who do the job well and someone, well, you might question, you know, how they are really doing their off. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking between good and not so good. The word well is the same word that is found in two other places in chapter 3. In that chapter, in, in that chapter, in verse 1, we read, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now that word noble is exactly the same word as the word well. Exactly the same word. In this section, Paul is talking about people who we would regularly call our elders. But in that chapter, he calls them overseers. Because that's really what elders do. They oversee the life and ministry of the church. In verse 13, the same word is used in the context of deacons. Those who have served well, we read there, gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Well, what Paul is actually saying in each of these verses is simply this. If you serve as an elder or a deacon or any other leadership position in the church, you have a noble task. This is a great work to be involved in. If you want to do something excellent in your life, then get involved in ministry within the church, and particularly in leadership within the church. Become an elder, a deacon, a minister, a youth leader, a worship leader. I mean, these are all good stuff that you and I should be involved in. Now, we could today generalize the message today to talk about everyone in leadership in the church, but for today, for, for today I want to focus on elders and deacons. I mean, in our system of church government, we have set aside particular people to serve in an office. And we have ministers or pastors, you might call him Pastor Jim, I'll be honored and blessed on the 16th of April to install him in this church. And he will be your pastor. But then we have elders and we have deacons as well. In our system of church government, if you are a male, you can serve as a minister and as an elder. We also, in our system of church government, we allow women to serve as deacons alongside men in the area of deacon, because we believe this is what the scripture teaches us. So today we're going to look at elders and deacons. Normally, within our system of church government, elders and deacons, even pastors, only serve for a time. Three years, four years. We have one of our pastors just has finished off in his church after 23 years of serving that church. 
But whether you are just retiring or just beginning or you're still serving as an elder and deacon, remember this. This is a noble task. This is a great work. It is something excellent in the life and ministry of the church. Well, let's think about elders. Elders serve by exercising oversight. That's why most often in the New Testament you read about elders as being overseers. And they do that in the name of Christ. At another time, the Apostle Paul told the elders in Ephesus, he said, and this is the same church that young Timothy is a pastor of, he says, keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you, what? An overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, how do elders provide oversight? Well, they make sure that here in the church we have the pure and true preaching of the Word of God. That there is instruction for faith formation from the little kids out there. You know, as you grow up and you become adults and seniors, I mean, we want to make sure that we're continually growing in, in our faith. We want to make sure that there's instruction for both youth and adults. That there's a regular celebration of the sacraments. That there's faithful counsel and guidance and discipline within the church. They are to visit the families of our church and and as they visit the families within the church, they are to make sure that they keep in strict confidence everything that people share with them. They must promote fellowship and hospitality among believers. They must also ensure that there's good order in the church. They need to stimulate witness among all people. And like Peter, they lead by the front foot. If there's involvement here, something that's happening, they say, you know what, I'm up. I'm signing up for that. I want to lead with my front foot. So those are elders. What about deacons? Well, deacons serve by leading and equipping the church to minister to its members in the world in a rich diversity of ministries. For example, they encourage the church in areas of compassion, of demonstrating mercy, of seeking justice in our society, of seeing the transformation of both people and communities. I mean, deacons teach us how to love God and our neighbors with acts of generous serving, joyful hospitality, thoughtful care, wise stewardship of all of God's gifts. I mean, deacons, they seek to respect the dignity of all people. In order to help them accomplish these tasks, deacons are to identify and develop the gifts of the people and also distribute the gifts of God's people in the community, but even beyond the church into the wider neighborhood. In essence, deacons demonstrate in word and deed the care of the Lord Jesus himself. And what we have within our churches is the fact that we have deacons and we have elders and we have ministers and they are responsible for the general administration of the church, that all things are done decently and in good order, directing the affairs of the church. But just think about it for a moment. I mean, elders and deacons, they have the task of overseeing worship services, the preaching of the Word of God, providing care to the congregation, reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost, providing for the needs of the poor, giving true comfort in times of sorrow or when people are dying. I mean, they're doing the work of Jesus in this world. 
And let me just tell you this, there is no greater task than that. There's no greater job, no greater activity that you can be involved in in the world than doing this. I mean, I've been at this for more than 50 years. Ever since I was 50, 15 years of old, I mean, I started working for the church. As soon as I made profession on my faith, I became a youth leader. And then I, I directed uh, ministry to street kids, and, you know, young boys that were not associated with church. I was doing that at 15 years of age, and I've been doing that in an employed way for f- over 40 years. But over 50 years, I've been involved in the life and ministry of the church in all kinds of leadership I mean, I used to be a worship leader until around 15, 16 years of age. (laughs) My voice was not any good anymore. (laughs) But before that, I could sing. I still know how to play the guitar, and I'd lead worship. I mean, I've been involved in all kinds of areas of ministry. And and over the years, people have come up to me, and they said, Are you ever sick and tired of serving the church, of being a preacher, being a church leader? I mean, all the hassles, the complaining, the problems in the church— well, I mean, like anybody, in any job, in anything that you might do in life, you have good days and bad days. Things are going well, and things that might be a little bit tough. But can you tell me of a better job to have than this? I mean, I've been able to spend my entire life studying God's Word and taking that Word and being able to explain it to people, teaching young people, children, Young couples, preaching sermons, telling people about salvation, leading people to Christ. I mean, caring for the sick, caring for the sorrowing, being with people on their deathbed, officiating at marriages. I tell you, this is a great work. And I love it. I still love it. What a huge privilege it is to represent Christ to the congregation and the world. No greater task in all the world in this. But with any privilege, there's also a huge responsibility. I mean, earlier in this letter that Paul writes to young Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, he tells Timothy that elders and deacons need to be above reproach. There must be nothing in the behavior of a leader in the church that will either discredit or bring shame to him, the church, or the cause of Christ. And that was exactly the problem that was happening in the church of Ephesus, and that is why Paul is writing Timothy about it. There was a problem of leadership. There's a group of people within the church that were spreading all kinds of false teaching. They were perverting the gospel and taught a message that ultimately stemmed from Satan himself. And, and I'm not just making this up. I mean, you read about it in the New Testament. You read it in the letter to the church in Ephesus. We've already looked at that when we looked at the letter that we wrote, that we looked at in the book of Revelation and in many other passages. And not only was their theology wrong, but their behavior was shameful. And these were church leaders. They were sexually perverted. They were conceited. They were argumentative. They used their positions of leadership in order to gain financial gain. They were drunkards. They looked down on marriage. And those who were married did not manage their own households much less the church. And as a result, these leaders within the church were bringing a reproach to themselves, to the church, and to the cause of Christ. 
Now you can see it's a wonderful privilege to serve in the church, but it also requires a huge responsibility. And for this reason, Paul tells Timothy that we are not to be hasty in the laying on of hands. You know, when we set aside, as we will do in just a few moments, set aside a couple of brothers for the work of church leadership, we shouldn't be too hasty in that. And as Peter, you know, mentioned earlier, one of the elders in this church said there was a real process as this church went through to make sure that those that were set forth for this office, for Gerhard Trump and for Troy Smalley, that these were brothers that were above reproach. Paul also tells us that leaders are not to share in the sins of others. Church leaders are to keep themselves pure. And if there are church leaders that are not living, you know, holy lives, pure lives, if they're living sinfully, I mean, we need to bring these brothers publicly before us and reprimand them, discipline them, correct them. And the reason why Paul says we need to do that publicly is because we need to be warned as leaders, other leaders, but also as a whole church, that this stuff is not part of what it means to be part of a Christ follower. That was true in the church in Ephesus thousands of years ago, as much as it is true for this church here in Wishart. Before we ordain and install any pastor, elder, or deacon by the laying of hands, we need to make sure that these people are above reproach. And when these church leaders are identified and ordained, Paul reminds Timothy that those who serve as leaders in the church are worthy of a double honor. And so we've identified, you know, what kind of leader we need to have within the church. And when these people are serving in the church, we need to give them double honor. We need to get behind our leaders by giving them the respect and the honor that is due them. As members in the church, we got to think highly of our elders and deacons. And, and, you know, when Pastor Jim comes here, we've got to be thinking highly of our pastors who serve in the church. We must value them as people, and we must value their work within our congregation. Those who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of a double honor. And as I said earlier, this applies beyond beyond just simply elders, deacons, and pastors. We have worship leaders. We have other people that serve in the life and ministry of the church. We've got to hold them in honor. And that doesn't just mean a simple honor. We need to give them a double honor. And that does not mean we give them twice as much honor as anybody else, but rather double honor means a generous amount of respect, value, and honor. So how can you and I do that? especially to the elders and deacons that direct the affairs of this church. And you think of your pastor who's going to be coming soon. Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing. Look on the screen, verse 18. The scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. And Paul here is just quoting other passages of the Bible. And the first way that you and I can honor those in leadership within the church is through financial support. Now, those of you who served as elders and deacons in this church, you say, oh, hold a moment. <laughs> I mean, the pay's not that good. And that's so true, as it was in the church in Ephesus. Most elders and deacons and even preachers worked for the church in a part-time way. That was the Apostle Paul. 
Paul never received a dime or whatever kind of currency they had back in that day in Rome and in Greece. He never received anything from the church for way of payment. He was a tent maker. For you and I today, I mean, we might think, you know, he was a chippy. I mean, he was a carpenter. No, he just, he mended, made and mended tents. That's what he did. He never took any wage from the church at all. Like Paul, they had full-time jobs where they earned their living. But in the history of the church, as churches grew in size, a growing number of elders and deacons and pastors started to work full-time for the church. And they would receive their wages from the church. But having said that, let me ask you, do you know what an honorarium is? That word comes from the same Greek word as honor. When you give an honorarium to a person, you are honoring that person. An honorarium is a gift that you give to somebody. It might be something as simple as just giving them a card or a text or an email. It might be a gift of money. It might have been something else that uh, you have purchased for them. These are not wages, but these are ways in which you honor those who serve in leadership within the church. You know, over the 40 years of pastoral ministry, I cannot count the number of cards and letters I've received from people over the years. If you don't believe me, come to my office sometime, and I have 38 scrapbooks of cards and letters that people have sent to me over the years, 38 binders that I've collected over the years. I know I'm a bit OCD when it comes to that. I save them all because I like looking back at them because these cards, these letters, these notes that people have sent to me over the years were just ways that people said to me, Jack, you're valued. We appreciate what you're doing. So whenever I received them, I mean, that was huge for someone like me who worked in the church where sometimes ministry can be very tough. I was honored by those cards, those words of thanks, that encouragement and support. So now I flip it to you. When was the last time that you purchased a card? I know it might cost you $6.95 at the local card shop. But when was the last time that you purchased a card and you posted it in the mail? And by the way, this past week, Australia Post said we don't send enough letters out. But maybe, what about you do that? Support Canada Post on the way, but what about you just would thank him or her for the ministry that they're doing within the church? When was the last time you've ever done that? What about giving your elder or deacon a gift certificate so he or she can take their spouse out for dinner? I received a number of them over the years. And what a blessing. What about a gift of an all-expense weekend away? I mean, have you ever given an elder or deacon in this church a gift of any sort? See, it's not about wages, but it's about an honorarium, about an honoring those who direct the affairs of the church. I mean, that's one way that we could honor our elders and deacons by giving them gifts notes, cards, things that express your appreciation for what they do. That's one way. And the other way that you and I can honor those who serve within the church 
those who direct the affairs of the church is given to us in verse 19. It says there, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Paul here underscores the importance of holding leaders up in high regard to respect them, to speak well of them, to not allow quick criticisms and judgments to be made against them. I mean, how sad it is. Pardon? Kick him in the guts instead. No, you don't kick him in the guts at all. We've got to hold him in high regard. Yeah. Well, listen to what I have to say. This is why I'm reminding us as a church what this is all about. How sad it is that within the church, often leaders are spoken badly about. And I'm not just talking about pastors that are criticized. I'm talking about elders and deacons as well, and other church leaders. I mean, it might be during the coffee time after church, or at a birthday party, or around a campfire, where you're not just roasting marshmallows and hot dogs, but you are roasting those who serve within the church. This ought never to happen. Notice what Paul writes. He says, I charge you, I urge you, in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and without showing favoritism. And Paul here just underscores how important it is that we don't do this. As God and the Lord Jesus and the whole of heaven is our witness, Paul says, we must never speak ill of those who direct the affairs of the church. Speaking bad about elders and deacons or ministers should not be part of Sunday evening's entertainment. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder, against a church leader, some with it in the church. We've got to support them, not entertaining accusations. Yet far too often, and maybe this is what has just come up this morning, too often people do not allow this to happen. They, they join in such criticism and judgment. And that has to stop, says Paul. Not just in the church in Ephesus, but if it ever comes up here in Wishart, it should never, ever happen. Those who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of a double honor. A double honor, a generous amount. Queen Elizabeth II was honored by a nation and faithful admirers all over the world, and rightly so. A people of God, there are people here within this church who are worthy of a double honor, with a generous amount of respect, encouragement, and value. They are the elders and deacons who direct the affairs of the church. As Paul tells us elsewhere, as he does in the book of Romans, give everyone what is due them. Give honor, give them honor. In the church, we owe our elders and deacons honor. So give them honor, for they are worthy of a double portion. At this point in our service, we're just going to move right into the ordination of Gerhard Trump and Troy um, Smalley, right? Yeah, sorry. I have a friend whose name is Phil Smalley, so I just got that a little messed up there, so Troy Smalley. 
And we are so grateful in this church that we, God has set aside particular people to do the task of the church. I mean, in the book of Ephesians, you know, the Bible reminds us that Christ has appointed some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ, that's you and me, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And when we have church leaders in our church who serve well, who do their task faithfully, this is what actually happens. The body of Christ is built up. You know, Christ taught the spirit of biblical leadership when he said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so how wonderful it is is that today we have two brothers who said, you know what? I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and serve in leadership within this church. You've already heard about elders, about the responsibilities that elders have in terms of oversight within the church. And when we think about elders, it's clear from that office of elders that it's a very responsible task, and no one can do it on their own strength. And the same is true of deacons. They too cannot serve as they provide mercy and justice and compassion in the congregation and beyond the congregation to the neighborhoods around us. I mean, that's a huge task and a huge responsibility. And they, too, can't do it on their own strength. And therefore, we look, and they look to our faithful Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to equip his servants for the work that he has called them. And that is why elders and deacons need to be devoted to prayer to the reading of Scripture so that they would continually be encouraged and edified by God's Word. They must be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to watch their life and doctrine closely. And the gift that God has given them, they need to fan into flame so that they're continually growing as a leader within the church. And so today we rejoice that in His faithful love, the Lord has provided us with elder a new elder and a new deacon to help us to be a merciful and compassionate people. And I'd just like to call those two brothers up at this point, um, Troy Smalley and Gerhard Trump. Just invite these two brothers up. Why don't you just join me up here? So Brother uh, Troy Smalley is going to be installed into the office as elder and Gerhard Trump into the office of deacon. So to express your acceptance of these offices, um, in the presence of God and his church, I'm just going to ask you um, three questions and ask you for a response. First of all, do you believe that in the call of this congregation you are called by God himself to serve in the office of elder and deacon? Do you believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God, and that in them the way of salvation is taught completely? And do you accept the confessional standards of the Christian Reformed Churches of Australia as being in harmony with these scriptures? And do you promise to defend this gospel and to re reject all teaching that contradict it, to speak against all injustice and untruth, and to be a model for this congregation of God's concern for compassion, justice, and peace? 
And you have promised to carry out the work of your offices faithfully, to love the church and all of its members, and to live a life worthy of your calling and submission to the government and discipline of the church. Troy Smalley, what is your answer? With all that I am, I do. And Gerhard Trump? At this time, I'd like to invite um, any um, elder uh, who has served in the past in this church, if you would come forward at this time, uh, and any current elders who are here, and any other church leader, if you identify yourself as a leader within this church, I just invite you to come up. We're just going to do this little ceremony of, I'm going to ask you just to kneel down on the, down, you can do, yeah, you can do right here, and I want to just extend our hands to these brothers. Uh, any other church leader that's here too, I just invite you to come up. Gerhard, too. Yeah, yeah, both of you. And this is a, what we do uh, within the Christian church. We lay our hands on them because this is really saying, you know, we the body, we are the body of Christ, and we're extending to these brothers the blessing of God upon them as the body of Christ. And so for you, Troy, and for you, Gerhard, may God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to your holy office, Will he guide you by his word, equip you by his Holy Spirit, and so bless your ministry that this church may increase, his kingdom extended, and his name be praised. Amen. Thank you. You may stand up. And just stay up here yet. All right? The two of you. All right. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you as a congregation to stand. They need to hear an affirmation from you, all right, that you are accepting them in this office as an elder and deacon. And so do you, before God and one another, receive Brother Troy and Brother Gerhard as servants, as your servants? You know, for, um, for Troy, um, do you promise to receive the word of truth from him in love and obedience as he seeks to give you leadership and guidance in the work of the Lord? And for Gerhard, do you promise to enable the diaconate to function meaningfully in its ministry of compassion and mercy? And for both of these brothers, do you promise to pray for them, respect and encourage them in their work, as we just learned about today and were reminded from 1 Timothy 5, and faithfully work together with them to the honor and glory of Christ, the upholding, the upbuilding of his church, and the extension of his kingdom? What is your answer? Thank you. You may be seated. For you, Troy, I charge you, dear brother and fellow servant of Christ, keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, eager to serve, not lording over it, those entrusted to you, but being an example to them. Be diligent in these matters. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pray continually for the church. And for you, Gerhard, I charge you, dear brother and fellow servant of Christ, do your work with the same compassion as the Lord Jesus showed to those in need. When showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Help the needy and the afflicted and have pity on the weak. Comfort them, both locally and elsewhere, with material support and the word of God, with prayer and good advice. 
encourage God's people to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And like Troy, pray continually for the church. And I charge you, the people of God, to respect those who work hard among you, those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in highest regard because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Obey your leaders. Submit to their leading. Keep watch over yourself as people who must give one account. Obey them so that your work will be a joy, not a burden. So their work will not be a joy, but a burden. Will, will be a joy, not a burden. For that will be at no advantage to you. And above all, sustain them in prayer. Accept and encourage them as the servants of the Lord. Put your hands together for these two brothers. God bless you. You may be seated. And let me pray for us all. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you for providing faithful and gifted servants to minister and to build up the body of Christ. As these brothers assume the responsibility of elder and deacon, we pray that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. We ask that you will equip them with wisdom and give them strength for their task. May they be faithful workers in your vineyard. Under their guidance, let your church grow in every spiritual grace, in faith which is open and unashamed, and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Deliver them from an attitude toward their office that is commonplace or self-assured. And in their work, grant them a humble dependence on your grace, that they may come to you with all of their needs. Help us, your people, to accept them gladly, encourage them always, and respect them for the sake of your precious Son, our Lord and King, in whose name we pray. Amen.